And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Hang on a minute. Who put you in charge? And who the hell are you anyway? I'm the Doctor. I'm a Time Lord. I'm from the planet Gallifrey in the constellation of Casterberus. I'm 903 years old and I'm the man who's going to save your lives and all six billion people on the planet below. You got a problem with that? No. In that case... Hello, Z! Would you like a jelly baby? My Sarah Jane. and welcome to another episode of Who True Freaks, the only place on the internet you need to go to get your Doctor Who fix. Except every other podcast that does Doctor Who. My name is Sean Ingle, and this month, we and the members of the Podcast Elite and I are going to be tackling something a little different from the previous shows. Oh, of course, we're still going to be covering the adventures of one of the greatest sci-fi characters ever created, but this time out, we're going to be focusing on the companions, or to be precise, on one particular companion in particular. I need to write these out better. Miss Sarah Jane Smith, played by the incomparable Elizabeth Slayton. But before we get to the discussion of one of the finest people to ever travel with a good doctor, let me introduce the veritable Justice League of podcasters who are here to make sure that I don't monopolize the mic and cause you all to throw your MP3 player on the floor in disgust. First of all, all the way from Mary England, the host of the 20-minute long box and co-host of the Fantastic Cast, Mr. Stephen Lacey. Say hi, Stephen. Excellent. <laughs> Steve is apparently played by the Martian Manhunter, and he's invisible right now. <laughs> Unfortunately, Steven was supposed to be on his show, but he had a booty call that he had to make it to. So <laughs> he will be he will be Mr. Not Appearing on this podcast, unfortunately, this time. He's having his own reunion at the moment. <laughs> Luckily, we do have our British component here in uh, the host of Hey Kids Comics and the co-host with Mr. Lacey on the Fantasticast, Mr. Andrew Leyland. Hello, everybody. 
Of course, then the second Mr. Not Appearing on this podcast, but running the boards and ripping it up on the ones and twos, Mr. Chris Honeywell. Say hi, Chris. There you go. <laughs> and next is one of the people who I've spent more time talking about Doctor Who on my podcast than the actual podcast I cover or the actual comics I cover on the show. Acclaimed author, podcaster, and man about town, host of Better in the Dark, DJ Comics Cavalcade, Boobs Like Curtis, and author of the site Damn Your Eyes, Damn Your Ears, and the soon-to-be-published Shadow Legion, New Roads to Hell, Mr. Thomas DJ. It's a pleasure to be here, Sean, but I smell this kind of old, hippie, patchouli-chewing... Oh, it's just shag. <laughs> well, it's, Chris, and... you, it's Chris you're smelling. I took a shower. And then... <laughs> And if you didn't know who that is, finally the host, the host of El Fuego y Agua podcast, and a man oh, who was a geez. bit too excited to see the reemergence of Vibe into the DC universe. Ladies and gentlemen, the irredeemable Shag. Yeah, are. my Vibe episode's right up there with uh, somebody else's US Team One podcast, buddy. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, well, uh, the odd thing is, you can probably expect more uh, US One podcast. I don't know uh, whether you'll be continuing on with the Vibe thing, so. Absolutely not. That's the uh, that. that was my April Fool's Day joke. Yes, the Fire and Water podcast and the Who's Who, the definitive direct uh, podcast of the DC Universe podcast. So yes, glad to be here. Excited to talk about this episode. These episodes. Cool. Well, and now with introduction out of the way, let me give you a little background on the topic of this show. From the very beginning of this series, the do the Doctors travel through time and space with a single person, or many times a group of people. These people have been collectively known as the Companions. They've not only been characters to allow dialogue to go on with the character of doc the Doctor, but to also give us, uh, give us the viewer, a relatable person within the show. These companions are the on-screen personification of ourselves and our desire to travel to strange new planets, encounter fantastical alien species, and witness things that we could never do in our ordinary mundane lives. Granted, the companions have been incredibly varied, ranging from the Doctor's offspring, allegedly, to a ditzy 60 love child, a leather miniskirt wearing warrior, an 80s punk and an overly sexualized immortal, and a robot dog. Well, maybe we're not so much like the robotic dog, but that's all beside the point. All of these characters have served not only to give the Doctor someone to get into and out of impossible situations, but to also give the Doctor a sense of counterbalance. Especially in recent episodes, the companions have been there to make sure that the Doctor doesn't lose his quote-unquote humanity. The best companions are ones who are not only able to come along with the Doctor on his adventures that will inadvertently get them into a situation that will require the Doctor to use his wits and gal to get them out of, but also to challenge the Doctor on an intellectual and moral basis. Being that the Doctor is an alien who can live to be over 900 years old and has the ability to regenerate his body, it's easy for him to come aloof and uncaring to the goings-on around him. In this aspect, the companions give him a tether to the fleeting worries of everyday life allowing to be more relatable to us as the viewers. And with that said, no companion, in my opinion, has worked so well with the Doctor as Sarah Jane Smith. Sarah Jane was played by actress Elizabeth Sladen, was born February 1st, 1946, in Liverpool, England. She attended the Elliot Clark Drama School and made various cameo cameos in stage plays and television programs, including the long-running British soap opera, oddly enough, Coronation Street, which I think debuted sometime in uh, 12 AD. In 1973, she was offered the role of Sarah Jane Smith by then-Doctor Who producer Barry Letts, and Elizabeth Sladen won the role over a comedic actress, April Walker, who didn't seem to have the desired chemistry between her and the third Doctor, John Pertwee. 
Slayton's first role as Sarah Jane was in the serial The Time Warrior, where she stuck aboard the TARDIS and got caught up in a Sontaran plot to capture scientists from the present day. She was always portrayed as a strong female character. Slayton wouldn't continue her role as Sarah Jane into the Tom Baker era, encountering friends such as Harry Sullivan and the Brigadier Lethbridge Stewart, and such enemies as the Cybermen, Daleks, Sontarans, Davros, the alien overlord Suthak, and many more. She left the series as a regular companion in the serial Hand of Fear, but later returned to play a role in the Fifth Doctor serial, The Five Doctors. There was an attempt to give Sarah Jane her own solo show with K-9 and company, but the series only produced a pilot and nothing else. Slayton then continued the role of Sarah Jane in other such media, such as audio dramas and a directed video spinoff film, but it wasn't until 2006 that she officially stepped back into the role. And this is where my good friend Andrew Leyland comes in with the first part of the show that we're going to be covering, which is School Reunion from the second season of the new episodes of Doctor Who. So if everyone's ready, we'll have Andy go ahead and hit us with the synopsis. I'll take that chorus of approval as I'll just carry on then. (laughs) Okay. School Reunion aired on BBC One on the 29th of April 2006 and was written by Toby Whithouse and directed by James Hawes. At Deffrey Vale High School, Rupert Giles has returned to England and been promoted to headmaster. A small child waits (laughs) outside his room and smiles beguilingly at her before letting her into his office. The door closes behind them. A bat's wings appear in the window and a blood-curdling scream is heard briefly before being suddenly silenced. Elsewhere, the bell rings for physics class, and it is that butt of school child jokes the land over, the substitute teacher. But no ordinary substitute, for he is the doctor. Cue credits. The doctor is here, masquerading as John Smith, physics teacher, due to being alerted to weirdness by Mickey Smith, current companion, Rose Tyler's boyfriend, in a web-only tardisode that I didn't bother watching for this recap. The Doctor has figured out there's a child that has knowledge far beyond earthly intellect and is intrigued. Rose is less than impressed, however, as she has disguised herself as a dinner lady. She's very suspicious of the menu, which is carefully produced and portion controlled, even if the Doctor thinks the chips are quite nice. Later, however, Rose witnesses dinner ladies spill oil on one of their number, which causes them to be spirited away. A scream follows, but Rose is assured that the dinner lady is alright. Not convinced, Rose shows the Doctor, who gathers some goo for later analysis. The Doctor's investigations lead him to learn that the children's IQ has been rising steadily since Giles took over, but before he can follow up on this, he starts to see that a journalist is doing a profile on the headmaster, former companion Sarah Jane Smith. Their investigations continue independently at first and then together after Mickey discovers that a high concentration of UFO sightings were spotted just as the kids started being off-the-chart smart. Despite Sarah Jane and Rose being at each other's throats, the Fantastic Four discover the teachers really do sleep in the school, as Rose believed as a child, but as huge man-bat-type things. To analyse the goo Rose found earlier, Sarah Jane gives the Doctor K-9! K-9 analyzes the goo and reveals that it is of Krillitane origin, a composite race that steals bits from other races, in the same way that we are all bits and pieces of cultures we have invaded or been invaded by. At some point, the Krillitane have assimilated Kirk Langstrom and become man-bats, and that's why the Doctor didn't recognize them. But what are they doing with the children? Giles, however, is watching this conversation. Rather foolishly, while banging onto Rose about the curse of the Time Lords, the Doctor gives away his race, and Giles gets rather excited about this. The two meet where it is revealed that Giles' real name is Brother Lancer, and they have the whole join me or die conversation. Lancer decides to escalate his plan. He wipes out the teaching staff and puts the school into lockdown. 
The Doctor realises they are trying to crack the MacGuffin paradigm that will give them control over the building blocks of time and space, or some such. Even Rose is smarter for having eaten the chips. Lancer shows up and says that with a Time Lord, they could rewrite the universe into a better place. Save everybody. Sarah Jane says no. Everything has its time. And with that realisation, the Doctor smashes the control system. Outside, one child has escaped the Krillotine mind control by not eating chips, and he tries to warn Mickey, who, after a brief conversation with K-9, breaks through the locked school doors in Sarah Jane's car. He grabs the kid and regroups with the Doctor as the Krillotine, a little pissed off the MacGuffin has been destroyed, attack. They trap the Doctor and his team. No, his gang. No, his comrades. Whatever. In the sports hall, but K-9 opens fire. With the Krillotine scattered, the Doctor and co. run like hell. The Doctor realises the oil is toxic to the Krillotane and they need to get to it, but how to evacuate the building? The kid hits the fire alarm, freaking out the bat sonar. Mickey rescues the kids as the Doctor and K-9 power K-9 up for one last shot at Lancer. Although for K-9 this is a suicide mission, the brave little toaster opens fire and explodes the oil over the Krillotane as the school, as in all the best science fiction, blows up. Not Later, the Doctor... High School. That as well. Later, the Doctor takes Sarah into the TARDIS and offers to take her with him. She refuses, but when Mickey wants to go instead, Sarah Jane says the Doctor should let him, despite Rose's objections. She says her goodbyes to the Doctor as they warp off to the girl in the fireplace, but not before leaving a K-9 Mark IV behind for Sarah Jane. The end. Brilliant. Brilliant. That was, that was genius. Thank you. I, uh, wow. <laughs> Especially, I, especially I only edition. watched it and wrote down what happened. I didn't actually write the episode, but I'll take the credit. Uh, the, the Giles and all that stuff. Well yeah. done, sir. Well, especially and, the fact that uh, that they brought Anthony Head in, you know, and we here in America, well, it's uh, pretty much everywhere know him as Giles from Buffy. But yeah, Giles was a talking, perfect what are you villain. About? In this... Buffy, Yo, go ahead. the international coffee guy. <laughs> He is the international coffee guy. Yes, yes, that's where I think they. Fa- I think that's where Josh Whedon found him. Was in those stupid coffee commercials. I thought, I thought commercials. He found him in VR Five, but no one but me remembers that show. So, you are correct, sir. Laurie Singer, <laughs> Dave McCallum. Yay! Well done. Somebody with an equally equally useless knowledge of trivial TV shows that only lasted a season. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> Well, we, we that's not unexpected for us to have on this show. Yeah, Anthony Head was was wonderful as this character in the it show. It's such and, a shame that we that that Davies did not think of him as the master. Exactly. I that's what I get from everyone who I talk to about the show. He should have been that the master instead of that goofy blonde haired guy they had for the for the end of time episode. Uh, now in defense of John well, Sim. In oh, defense yeah. of John Sim, he is a tremendous actor, and it, it and what he played was not his idea. Yeah, well, that was and, not his fault. The, uh, Russell T. Davies made him play the Joker, is what happened. Yeah, well, and I'll, I'll give you that. You know, it, he, he as an actor, I'm certain was was wonderful. It's kind of one of those things where, yeah, the writer gives him something to do, and it doesn't work out for him. But yeah, Anthony Head as the master would have been. A perfect foil to yeah. the doctor, especially I mean, the way he just looks at, at the very end and just goes, "You bad dog." Your <laughs> <laughs> well, well, head's during, wonderful. During the episodes leading up, when we all heard that Anthony Head was going to be in the series, you know, if you were watching it when it was going out live, I mean, a lot yeah. of us were speculating he was the master. We were all sure right. he had to be. It's not you know, the first then, time the master has hung out with an alien race that he thought he could get something from. Exactly. Mm-hmm. 
we all thought this is going to be the master, you know, and we're all waiting for them to, you know, for them to finally admit it halfway through the episode. And we're like, I don't, I don't think that's going to happen here. What the hell? One, it would kind of work with the, go ahead, Thomas. uh, This show kind of crystallizes a lot of the problems I have with Russell T. Davies. Has a, I mean, both of these shows show, you know, crystallize a lot of what I, one of the problems I have with Russell T. Davies, along with some of the things I did enjoy during his tenure. And one of it is the total buddy, buddy, the total Buffy fetishism that he dis, he has displayed since day one. I would love to go back in, in my own quote unquote TARDIS to, to be there during that first meeting he had with the BBC executives where he came in with the Buffy box sets under one arm and says, this is what we need to make Doctor Who into. And having Stuart Head, who is an, an excellent actor and is wonderful in this show, but that's, that's just part of this whole Buffyization of, of the Doctor, um, as is the whole little special snowflake that is, that is Rose fucking Tyler. <laughs> I, I would disagree. I'm glad they Buffyized it. And I okay, think Shaq, I don't think... make me start bringing – I know how much you, you're, you're such a shipper, and I know – don't make me bring out the whole uh, series of Doctor – Brigadier fan fiction you've written. <laughs> Don't even start there, uh, Firestorm fanfic boy, and that's not a joke. Um, they, I think yeah, that Buffy, uh, <laughs> Buffy Eyes in the series was the smartest thing they could have done to make it accessible to people. I mean, we've talked we talked a little about this last episode. Yeah. We don't need to rehash it, but just how the show grasped on so many different fan bases that it never did before, and the Buffyism is is what did it, man. Yeah, so I, I think it's great. There's two ways of looking at this, this episode. On the one hand, um, the, to make the story work, the writer does something I always loathe. He changes the character. Now, mm. we've seen Sarah Jane a couple of times since the show went off the air and since she left. And Thank in you, none Andrew. Of those, none of those instances were we ever shown that she was like the star-crossed lover pining over the Doctor. In the other instances, mm-hmm. we've seen her get on with her life. And mm-hmm. he changes that to make the story work. This, I, this is one feeling, of the things... Sorry, go no, go ahead, Andrew. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Continue. No, it's all right. I was just saying, it feels like it was written in such a way that if the deal with Liz Sladen had not worked out, they could have plugged any companion into this episode. And it would have still worked. The fact that it does work at all is more a tribute to the, the the acting and the character moments than the actual writing of the episode itself. Because as science fiction, this is god awful. Oh, but as Lord, character yes. piece, it's really. I mean, in the synopsis, I joke the MacGuffin paradigm thing that is completely irrelevant to the story. Yeah, Why the aliens are there is tossed off in one brief scene, mm-hmm. one brief gobbledygook line of dialogue, and then never mentioned again. It fascinates me that they set up this this race that is, that is this race of nomadic invaders that basically are running around the um, you know the the giant Safeway. That is the universe going, oh, I think I'll have some of that. Let me have some of that. That's really lovely. I think they look good with my color complexion. And then just go off on this weird tangent for like five seconds of the – was it? The God Codex? The or God Equation or something? Yeah, it's the building blocks of space and time. Yeah. But, but the thing that, that 
I will never forgive this show is exactly what you hit upon, Andrew. The fact that – and this stems from something that I think until the fourth season, Russell T. Davies could never look at a male-female relationship except in terms of romance. So they had – and I know, Shag, we've had discussions on this in the past, but I think it's unforgivable that they made Sarah Jane into this weepy schoolgirl – I waited for you. I waited for you. Wah, wah, wah. When she was nothing, she was always his mate in the first two shows. His best friend, his partner in crime. She was, there was never anything sexual or romantic in any of the, of the classic Who serials she was in. And to, to, to retroactively force her into being this kind of pining schoolgirl crush you know, have her. I hate that. I I will say that, oddly enough, as a kid, because Sarah Jane was one of my first companions I saw, and by the way, is my favorite. Um, Same here. I, in my head, regardless of what was in the episodes, in my head, they were a couple. As a kid, I was convinced they were in a relationship together, even though it was never shown in the series. So maybe that's part of the reason why I accepted it so well. I don't know. I also got to go back to what Andy said, and we should spend some time talking about, is just how amazing Liz Sladen was in this episode. Her oh, acting. God, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, amazing. in terms of that was the negative. I mean, if, if you just let that slide over you, which mm-hmm. I kind of did, because a lot of these episodes, the actual science fiction element, particularly the Davis ones, uh, is, is is negligible. That's not what the episode's about. Right. In every other respect, this episode scores immensely. The acting's wonderful. David Tennant's not become Mr. Shouty yet. I think Anthony Head is a fantastic bad guy anyway. Mm-hmm. In whatever, whenever he's played a bad guy, he just relishes it. Billy Piper's really good in this one, especially in the scene where she's saying that, um, that Sarah Jane, no, he never mentioned you. And she, <laughs> she amped up her cocky in that scene. And you get to see that the doctors brought out her softer side, whereas you get the idea that her in that scene was what Rose was before she met the doctor. This brassy, doesn't take any crap. That's what she had to be to survive where she lived. And I thought that scene was wonderfully played by Piper. And she has a couple of good moments throughout the show. But Noel Clark was the standout in this one for me. I thought Noel Clark was brilliant in this episode. Absolutely fantastic. Because the story is essentially about him just as much as it's about Sarah Jane getting over a relationship. If a story is about the character that changes from the beginning of the story to the end of the story, then Mickey's arc over the entire series can be seen in microcosm in this one episode. People Mm. still give Noel Clark such shit. Noel Clark's a great actor. And he... I... That he took this character who was a nothing character at first and made it into somebody that I really liked at this point and someone who I, I was defending to other uh, Who fans at the time, going like, he's such a wonder. I said, yeah, but he's right. He is the Tim Dog. He is this fallback guy, this, this, this afterthought. And he has right to be resentful of it. And I love the fact that he that in this is the episode where he chooses to make his own way, so to speak. Hmm. It's a to great be, episode for him. Yeah. Absolutely. I think uh, it really the whole the whole introduction of K9 and pairing him with Mickey was brilliant. It was a really great idea from the story. 
it really helped set it off. Because I mean, you saw some of it with Mickey all the way back to, what was it, World War III, or the Eccleston episode, mm-hmm. where he admits to the Doctor that he's not ready to go in the TARDIS and has the Doctor cover for him with Rose. Where the Doctor says, you know, no, Mickey, you're not coming. And it, 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 Mickey's been a great character for a long time. He's just mm-hmm. was a coward for up till this point. I'm, I love his, his delivery of the line. I have prepared a little I was right dance for later. On the one hand, <laughs> yes, Thomas is right. It's a Buffy line. But his delivery of it is brilliant. It's, in fact, that entire scene between him and Billy Piper is, is really well acted. Well, and I think a lot of this uh, falls from the fact that Davis, again, and we've mentioned this before, is not a sci-fi writer. He is a drama writer. He's he's one who's not accustomed, accustomed to writing sci-fi TV. So he puts in a lot of this relationship stuff. There are which, some people who would say he's not even a writer. Well, oh, uh, I don't agree. Uh, I don't agree with that. I, I don't I, either. He's not I, a science fiction writer. And if you've read The Doctor's Tale... He quite aptly admits he's not a science fiction writer. He'll have a good idea that maybe he should have given to somebody else if it's a science fiction project. But, you know, uh, the relationship stuff works, uh, you know, I think simply because of Sarah Jane's or Elizabeth Sladen's acting in this, that, you know, Mm. she she pulls off uh, that sort of. That sort of dramatic loss thing, even though it isn't part of her character. But even though that it isn't part of her character, she does it in such a wonderful way, acting-wise, that uh, you completely believe it, and you completely believe that the relationship between her and the Doctor was something more than just mates. So I- I'm willing to forgive it simply because Elizabeth Sladen was just so wonderful in the show. Yeah, Liz, Liz Sladen is fantastic in it. And in fact, that's, that's why, yeah, you're willing to, to gloss over. The way it works is it's not all the gratuitous continuity porn, which there is quite a lot of, which is nice for people like us. It's the history. The history that Sarah Jane brings with her is what makes this episode work. It's like why the New 52 kind of irks me. It's not the loss of continuity. It's the loss of history. And even kids who watch this one who had no idea who Sarah Jane was, it still works for them just as it works for all of us watching it who remembered her from when she was in it originally. And she does play her moments for all the work. And K-9 brilliant. I just love K-9 mm-hmm. in this one. We are in a car. Car, yes. Yeah. Is, is a oh, fantastic and, scene, and K, and then the final scene with K nine, him in the him in the kitchen, you know his his suicide mission. Basically, yeah, I don't cool. know about you, but that affirmative that <laughs> that made me that made me ball up in tears. Seriously. Well, I've got like, it's a constant source of amazement to me how teary I get over the K nine scene. Yes, oh. he's See. a robot dog. I got a little sad with that. I think think it's also that Sarah Jane at the end, you know, plays it off, you know, when she's talking with the dog. It was just a silly tin dog. And her character moment pulls it off there that you feel that she's actually had a kind of connection with this inanimate object. And she pulls it off so brilliantly that you feel you feel the same emotion that her character is feeling in the show. See, I, I will freely admit this. And Thomas will probably ridicule me for the rest of my life for this. But. Every single time Liz Sladen tears up on screen in anything, I do too. Mm-hmm. Well, you've mentioned that before, Shaq. Have I? Okay. Yes, she I is, mean, you mentioned that on amazing. the Better and Dark episode we did. Okay. I'd forgotten about it. I tried to block that period of my life out. But um, she <laughs> is... We already have. <laughs> she is amazing. I cry every time. And now that she's passed away, I cry even more. So, I mean, well, yeah, she, she's great. That, 
that added an extra level to the scene at the end where she says, no, everything has its time. Yeah. And it's, there's a certain element to it that that works so much more now. Yeah. That she has had her time and she's not with us anymore. And that is that is really, really a very powerful scene in an episode that perhaps didn't earn how powerful that was until she sadly is no longer with us. But yeah, then you because... do watch it again and it is gut-wrenching. Now, yeah, let me you... put this out at the risk of, of being ridiculed. Was I the only one who thought that she was wicked, wicked hard in this episode? No, I, I, think, I, I honestly think that she was more attractive than Billy Piper in this episode. In fact, you know, when the two were together, I was, I was more enamored of Elizabeth Sladen than I was of Billy Piper and Billy Piper to her credit is very, very attractive, but there's just, please don't get me wrong. My, my criticism of Rose fucking Tyler. (laughs) Is Is that a proper middle name? A judgment call on, on Billy (laughs) Piper, the actress who is, I think, I mean, one of the things I like about her is that she does seem to be listening to everybody. You know, some actor, some actors and actresses, they just, when you look at them on the screen, they're just waiting for their lines. Mm-hmm. But she's actively reacting to everything around. And the other th- thing I want to point out, I liked this version of the doctor, the, the David Tennant doctor, this kind of still somewhat hurt on the inside I mean, that moment where he says you got the one chance in the confrontation with uh, Giles in the pool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I like that kind of the fact that he was this kind of jovial, delighted character who had this this razor sharp edge somewhere. And the moment you touched it, you knew. And sadly, this is one, I, of, this is one of the first right. episodes they did not too long after the Christmas special where you had that same sort of vibe. Mm-hmm. I think this is, is this sadly like he becomes the big bag of ticks. Yeah, eventually he just was come shouty. Mm-hmm. I think this may have been one of the first ones they filmed after the Christmas special because it was filmed in a real couple of high schools, so they had to do that over the summer when the school was closed. So it may have been, if not the first, it certainly is one of his first ones after the Christmas one. And he, this is joy at seeing Sarah Jane. You know, is real because we know what Tennant is a fan of the show, so that comes across in his performance. And the scene where he does meet her in the staff room, and she says, "I used to know somebody who went under the name John Smith," and he says, "That's a common name." It's it's a lovely little bit. Both of them play it really well because obviously she isn't supposed to know who he is at that point. And, it's and really that good. moment where she comes across the TARDIS. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And she gets, I, that's the thing I've always loved about Sarah Jane. She gives kind of startled, scared better than anybody. Because mm-hmm. you get as well in her face, she's very, do I go in? Do I find him? Do I reintroduce <laughs> myself? Or do I just walk away and have nothing to do with this? And that's all in a split second glance across mm-hmm. her face as she sees it. It's, it's, it's a great character wise and performance wise. This is why this one is so well remembered. And there's some wonderful dialogue in it. Happy slapping hoodies with Asbos was just genius. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and then the whole argument between Rose and Sarah Jane is one of the greatest moments of New Who ever. Just mm-hmm. the back and forth uh, where they're bickering over him. It's genius. Sarah Jane, it's- Sarah Jane missed a trick there, though. Rose is slapping her back with all this. Met the Emperor Dalek. Sarah Jane should really have counted with, met the creator. 
Back down, bitch. That would have <laughs> been much better. Let's be thinking... honest. If it wasn't for Russell T. Davies' fetish, you know, fetishism of her Mary Sue ca- of his Mary Sue character, Sarah Jane Smith would have beat the living crap out of Rose fucking Tyler. <laughs> yeah, you get the feeling Sarah Jane's holding back a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you... I mean, any any ex girlfriend and new girlfriend, there's always you know, it's never a, a hair pulling, cat scratching slap fight. There's always some. They want to both walk out with their dignity kind of thing. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't have minded a hair pulling, cat scratching cat fight between those. I, I think I'm going to think about that for a while and mute my mic. Hold on. <laughs> Yikes. We'll be the only thing probably more interesting would have been a slappity slappity boom boom kiss between the two of them. Oh, <laughs> oh dear. Did, you, did, did, did the happy slapping hoodies with Asbo's reference travel? No. no. I'm assuming is, you're oh, referring to Chavs. That's all I could think of. Well, there was the thing going around at the time this was written. Happy slapping was people would just randomly walk up to somebody in the street, smack them across the face and film it on the phone and upload it to YouTube. So that's where what? the happy slapping. Yes, that was happy slapping. This was a thing. This was a real thing. Hoodies <laughs> was the newspaper demonization of all children that wore hoods. So everyone, every teenager who wore a hood was obviously a knife-wielding maniac just waiting to destroy civilization. And Asbos was this wonderful thing the government came up with. If you were a teenager who was a happy-slapping hoodie and you got in trouble, they would give you an Asbo, which was meant to go on your record. I can't remember what it stood for. And it was, thank you, Ange, anti-social behavior order. And it was supposed to be this thing that marked you for life and branded you as a thug. And eventually it got took off your record. What actually happened was the people that were doing all this stuff started collecting Asbos. Yeah, I've got four. And it became this thing where it became a badge of honor to have as many as possible. So it completely backfired. Um, So in one hand, the cradle of civilization, folks. Yeah. Welcome to the UK. We may not have guns, but we're still no. The Wild West still exists, and it's it's. I did wonder if that was a bit dated now, or five years later. But I still laughed at it. I just thought it was funny words. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of time. That's a lot of time. What we get over here in the Americas with the British translations, when you know, when they say things really rapid fire, like they do in these shows. We all just, oh, it's just funny words. Just go along and laugh with it. So a lot of times sure. we may not get the references. Because a lot of American TV doesn't make sense either. So that, you know, we're just used to it. Well, that's just because that's just it's poorly written. But Exactly. That's, that's where I was going with that. So. Yeah. Now, I, I do want to say a quick thing about uh, Liz Slayton. And I, I've said it before, I think, on Thomas's show. I don't know if I've said it here. And if I have, I apologize. But uh, Liz Slayton, you know, I watched her when I was a kid, you know, all of 10 years old, you know. Loved the original series and all that. Then here I was able to sit with school reunion. I was able to sit with my stepson, who at the time was seven years old, and watch it with him. And, you know, what is it, 30? She left in, what, 77, probably, the series? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So 30 years later, here was the same actress playing the same role, still being a hero and inspiration to children. Really choked me up thinking about that sitting there with with my boy watching that and to this day like you know I've watched the series with Jane Adventures with my kids quite a bit this woman is amazing that so many years later she's still inspiring kids and being heroic and being a strong female lead character it just gets to me she's she was an amazing actress and I'm so glad they gave her the opportunity to play these roles and when I say she's an amazing actress sadly I haven't seen her in anything else so I don't know 
what she's done beyond Doctor Who. So that's why I don't want to say I'm the biggest fan because I don't know what else she's done. And but, I thank she, God every day that they did not that Barry Letts and uh, Philip Hinchcliffe didn't give in to her original request to have the character killed off. Oh, jeez, did she really ask for that? Yeah. She had originally said, I don't want to be married off to somebody. Could you just kill me off? But they well, managed you know, her to... De- go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, her departure, she got thrown out of the TARDIS. I mean, she was going to mm-hmm. leave, but she didn't really mean it. She was pulling a pout. She got thrown out of the TARDIS, which does sort of play well into her jilted lover sort of thing in this episode because she didn't want to leave. And the doctor literally threw her out. So that does work on some levels. Ship her. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, when she died, they had, and it was announced on the radio and the TV and everything, and David Tennant popped up on them, the news shows to talk about her. They actually set up a helpline for kids. Aww. And it had, it had a phenomenal response of people, because for a lot of the younger ones who watching Doctor Who and watching Sarah Jane Adventures, this was their first experience with death. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them, uh, and they they did set up the BBC set up a helpline for people to phone and, and talk if they were having problems, which I thought was on the one hand I was like really, and then it, it's one of them things where you sit back and you go yeah well if you're three or four or five or whatever, or forty probably or forty, this is probably a big deal. So it yeah, that was me that she kept it secret for so long. Yeah, mm. in this era where everybody's slightest you know funny breath is reported. I, uh, you know, TV is TV. It's entertainment. And regardless of the fact that I've been a fan of Doctor for so many years, it's just TV. You know, mm-hmm. when John Pertwee passed away, I was like, oh, that's sad. You know, when Patrick Totten passed away, I was like, oh, that's sad. When any show I've ever watched, it's just like, oh, that's a sad. When Li- I found out Liz Sladen died, I found out about, I don't know, three o'clock on a, on a work day. I was done. I lost it. I didn't get anything done the rest of the day. I honest to God just teared up Andrew when you talked about the helpline I hadn't heard about that um, it no other actor in the world ever this gets to me she gets to me for some reason uh, I can't watch she an episode was... of any show with her without tearing up and my kids like like to watch me to wait to see when it's going to happen and, uh... <laughs> mock you mercilessly yeah, yeah. And it, that's it's... what kids are for yeah. well she was the first companion I ever saw the first companion I had a serious crush on when I first saw them in the as part of the old Lionheart Entertainment uh, syndication package, and you know it's it's you know she was a major part of why I got into this show, and I think the fact that she continued onwards and continued to play this character with dignity and grace. Is is amazing. I mean, just picked it up after so many years, and just as if she never left. That was that was what was really good about it. That it was like she'd never gone anywhere, and that's why I am willing to give the the story a complete pass because she just sells every minute that she's in, and it's it's exactly. it's a really great episode. And it, and the writing's not awful. I don't want anyone to think I'm really slagging it off. I think the science fiction aspects of this is tripe. But some of the dialogue's brilliant. Um, the Doctor's reaction to Mickey. And you decided to scream. Nine, maybe ten. I've seen pigtails and a frilly skirt. Was an hysterical <laughs> line. Absolutely hysterical. And Tennant delivers it wonderfully. And there's Aberdeen. Well, that's near Croydon. And you're like, no, no, Doctor, it really isn't. And why does he look so disco? 
these were all really funny bit and the conversation about why does he does he still stroke bits of the TARDIS? Mm-hmm. Was oh, there's, there is some genuinely funny bits in it, and the we are in a car moment is genius. And there's there's enough in it that you go, all right, okay. You I must get be getting older because they're getting because your companions are getting younger. Yeah, yeah. There's some great, great dialogue in it. It was fantastic, and it was well played by everybody in it. And it's it's it is a really good episode. Well, we might as well mention sci-fi. Uh, you know, since we're sort of talking about the companion as well, we might as well mention getting K nine back as well because that was, I think, kind of a, a a brilliant stroke for them as well because K nine eventually didn't get really that used in the Sarah Jane adventures. I think he was in a, just a couple of episodes and get well, K nine and get uh, Barry or uh, John Leeson back as the voice as well. John mm-hmm. Leeson, yeah, yeah. So uh, well, that was because the, that uh, just Barry. Not Barry Letts. Uh, Bob Barker and uh, what's his yeah. face sued for the rights, took it to Australia, gave him a fu- gave him funny ears, and started their own TV show. Mm-hmm. Well, to be fair, they had been trying to do that for a long time. I mean, this wasn't something new. They'd been trying to put together a canine spinoff series for a long time, and School Reunion sort of like gave them the enough attention to canine to let them finally make it happen. Mm-hmm. And I haven't seen. I saw the first pilot of it, which was terrible, and I did not the watch the rest of this. No, no, no. Canine and Company was also terrible. But uh, <laughs> no, there was there was a recent show called Canine. Um, I've heard a cartoon series. Yeah, this no, is was, a thing. No, it was live action. Was it? I thought it was a three D kind of CGI well, K- thing. Canine was CGI and right. blue, but everyone else was human beings. Oh crack. right, no, no, I never saw this. Thankfully, my my memory has been spurred. This. Oh, it was terrible. This was only a couple of years ago. Um, not good. I know. I saw the redesign of it and thought, no, that's not for me. To give you an idea of how bad this show is, the sci-fi, Siffy, <laughs> the Skiffy Channel, the Skiffy Channel got the rights to to to. to broadcast this and they don't broadcast it the regular way they just wait till one sunday when nobody's watching and just throw a marathon on mm. <laughs> now did, uh, did anyone here watch those stories it was on and there, the, there are the crickets <laughs> no see I, mean, I like your idea of the skiffy channel where it'd be just like skiffle vans <laughs> Some see, i like to refer it. it as the siffy channel like uh, uh like the uh Sexually transmitted diseases, yes. syphilis. Oh lord, that's basically what it is to me. Since we're talking about K nine, and we just mentioned uh, Andrew, just mentioned a bunch of great lines. One of the greatest lines in this thing is "forget the shooty dog thing." Yes, <laughs> brilliant line. Uh, brilliantly delivered as well. Yes, that could have been a clunker in a lesser actor's hands. Uh, Tony Head delivers it magnificently. My only problem with the ending of this one. Um, whilst I imagine Kenny does manage to get some plaudits for blowing up the school. All his pals are applauding him and everything. Surely, as far as the authorities are concerned, he's not only destroyed public property, he's just killed off all the teaching staff. <laughs> that kid's spending years in therapy because of this. That's, that's far worse than a, shouty, howdy, a, sh- a slappy happy hoodie in it with an asbo. Yes, it is. <laughs> that poor kid is never going to recover from this. Now there was like a little bit of there was a good a bit of good wish fulfillment for kids like as they watched this episode to see their you know they're imagining their own school blowing up they're probably like this is the greatest thing ever yeah oh, I just so, thought of the Ramones <laughs> <laughs> yeah 
You know, when but we that's can the tie only Doctor thing this Who, show could have used. <laughs> when we can tie Doctor Who into a wonderful 1970s movie starring the Ramones, I'm always happy. So I'm glad <laughs> we could do that. Now there's uh, a the, go ahead. Check. No, well, I was, was going to talk about say. a continuity thing. Go on. Um, this episode completely ignores the five doctors. Yes. Sarah Jane hasn't seen the doctor since the end of the hand of fear completely ignores the five doctors in, uh, which is kind of a head scratcher. Like, did she forget yeah, the events think, of the five doctors? You think she'd met a reference to having met another few incarnations? Cause I know she doesn't actually meet Peter Davison in that one, but she's across the room from him. Right. I, I think the majority of people forgot the events of the th- of the five doctors. I like I the five. Jo- I don't know if that's a joke or you're being serious. I can't tell. You decide. <laughs> Again, um, and I got Shag and Thomas on the show to have them bicker and fight like an old married couple. Uh, the final <laughs> scene with David Tennant. Dude, and I can do so much better. Thank <laughs> you. I was say, the, the pre-show was better. <laughs> yeah, you should cut all that in. When Chris edits it. The final scene between Tenet and Sladen is really good. And I like that they, they reprised the Divine Comedy song for Ten in the background as just like a little piano noodly thing. Um, and it, and when the, the TARDIS disappears and K9's left, though, mm-hmm. it's, it's a glorious ending. And the final line that Sladen gives of, you know, he's replaced K9 with a newer model and that's what the Doctor does. Yeah, that's, again, some of the lines they have in this are just so classic and so wonderful. You know, we, we, we harped on the romance thing a bit. Um, I like the fact that when this episode is over, the romance angle between the Doctor and Sarah Jane is pretty much over. Mm-hmm. You know, from then on, she just – anytime she reflects, it's more like he's a best friend. So if you think about her subsequent appearances and her own show, the romance thing sort of goes away after this one. So if, you, if you're bothered by it, you can just kind of ignore it when you're done with this episode and just acknowledge that, yes, there are still best friends and um, – you know, she she's really the closest thing he had until before Rose, probably, you know, is what this episode's sort of suggesting. Because yeah. I don't think they're suggesting he was this close with everybody. I don't think him and Tegan had this relationship. I don't know. He had Tegan and Nissa in at the same time. That may have been fun. You know what always struck me odd about the, Braveheart, about, Tegan. <laughs> you know what always struck me odd about those Peter Davison episodes with, with both Nissa and Tegan? They had the they shared the same room, but only had one bed. Yay! <laughs> I'm just saying it's all. I'm going to have to go back and rewatch okay. that. I don't remember that. Wow. Given, taking given, an awkward turn. Given my mindset, I think I would have noticed that before now. But anyway. There's a, a couple of spin-off things worth mentioning. Um, there was a book that came out after this called The Krillotane Storm. Original BBC book written by Christopher Cooper. It's sitting on my bookshelf unread. And then Big Finish, prior to this episode airing, had done a series of Sarah Jane audio dramas, mm-hmm. which, yeah, the Sarah which Jane aren't Adventures. bad. What's that? Yeah. I think they're, they're also called the Sarah Jane Adventures, right? Uh, they're just called Sarah Jane Smith. Okay. So I, I picked up the first four recently. I want to say there's maybe a total of eight. I can't recall. But I listened to those uh, after – Actually, just in the last few months, and they're not bad. It's sort of a different angle. They're a little darker, a little more mature. Uh, there's even some cursing in some of them, and she's 
really uh, is still doing hardcore investigative reporting and stuff. And uh, it's a little bit of a harder edge, Sarah Jane, because she's on the run constantly. She's having to change mm-hmm. identities and stuff because every time she busts a big story, they're out to kill her. You know, somebody is. So, but it, they're fun. And if you're a Sarah Jane fan, I'd recommend you pick them up. You can still get them from Big Finish. Cool. And well, so the- once this episode aired, I'm sorry, I interrupted just then. Once no, this ahead. episode of Doctor Who aired, they they finished the audio drama series, and part of that has to deal with the thing on Big Finish. If if you appear on Doctor Who on TV, you cannot appear in the Big Finish stuff as that same character until the show's off the air. All right. So if Paul McGann shows up in the 50th anniversary special, does his radio shows have to stop? That's a good question. Right. That's a very good question. Well, well, you know, so far McGann. I don't know if McGann has been officially confirmed for the 50th anniversary. I know that. Uh, no, only Tennant's been officially converted. I'm still wondering if Tom Baker's going to show up because there were so many discussions that he was going to be in the 50th for a long time there. I'm wondering if he's going to show up and they're keeping it a secret. And Chris Freckleson got his uninvitation to the unbirthday, right? Yeah. No, no. He he sat down at the table. I read an article recently. He sat down at the table with Moffat and discussed it for a while, listened to Moffat's pleas, and said basically, you know, no, no, thank you. Yeah. Well, he still has, I'm sure... You know, wakes up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat, still having nightmares. Or supposed to be like, no, Christopher, do it this way. Yeah, but Davies is long gone. There's more to it. He has this philosophy of once you do a role, you walk away, you never go back. Mm-hmm. Which is probably why he didn't come back for GI Joe the sequel. Oh no, wait, that's because the movie was absolute shit. <laughs> uh, this we agree on, Shaq. This we do agree on. Yeah, Rachel Nichols is in it though. No, not in the sequel. Oh, I've, I've, I've even less interest in seeing it then. Adrian well, no, the, se- the sequel actually looks the sequel actually looks like fun. I hate to say the first one was horrible. No, no, see, I recognize that the first one was big and stupid, but that's kind of what I wanted in a GI Joe film is something big and stupid. And it had Sienna Miller in leather. Mm, and it that's true. It ha- it was actually I thought it was if you took it as just a big dumb stupid movie that had no brains worth a rock. It could be enjoyed. This one is just hey fuck characterization. Here's toys. <laughs> <laughs> and what little interest, what little excitement you get from the two hours running time is from the. Some of the performances, like, you know, Dwayne Johnson is really good in it. Um, Jonathan Price is having a ball in the film. But the, it's it's a terrible movie. And this is a show about Doctor Who. I was saying, we're, 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 we're <laughs> yeah. a long tangent there, Thomas. <laughs> well, uh, it's it's two true freaks. You know, it's supposed to be tangent-laden. But to try and get us back on track... Uh, Obviously, uh, Shag mentioned the uh, fact that there was a Sarah Jane Adventures in uh, some of the audio aspects, and there was also uh, eventually a TV show that spun off kind of of, uh, because of the school reunion and the popularity of it. Uh, Elizabeth Sladen got to do the uh, Sarah Jane Adventures, which was, like I said, a spinoff show that dealt with Sarah Jane, and it was a bit more kid-friendly than Doctor Who. Not that Doctor Who wasn't necessarily kid-friendly, but it was more kid-oriented, and the other show that we're going to be taking a look at today is uh, one of the episodes from uh, the Sarah Jane Adventures called Death of the Doctor, where for, I think, what, the third time in the uh, series, Sarah Jane Adventures, that uh, 
Sarah Jane meets up with the Doctor. Well, it's the so, second time, uh, but the first one was a two-parter, so it's the third yeah. episode. Okay, so there you go. But uh, do we do we want to take a break, or do we want to just power on through this? You can carry straight on. For okay, me. we'll carry on through this. Well, I've got the synopsis of the uh, Death of the Doctor episode, so I will go ahead and we'll uh, go ahead and go through that. Uh, the Death of the Doctor was a two-part story that aired on October the 25th and the 26th of 2010 in the UK. It was directed by Ashley Way, written by Russell T. Davies, produced by Brian Minchin, Phil Ford, Nikki Wilson, and Davies himself. The cast included Elizabeth Sladen as Sarah Jane, and Dan- Daniel Anthony as Clyde, Angeli Mohadira, let me try and pronounce this right, Mohadira as Ronnie, Matt Smith as Doctor, Katie Manning as Joe Grant slash Jones, and Finn Jones as Santiago. The story opens with Sarah, Clyde, and Ronnie hosting a video chat with Sarah's adopted son, Luke, who is away at college. Luke is relating is relating dorm life to the trio when Mr. Smith, the Sarah's world-monitoring supercomputer, alerts her to the arrival, arrival of UN forces. Sarah and the kids meet the leader, one Colonel Karam, who explains to Sarah that the Doctor has died and will be given last rites at Unit HQ. Not believing that the Doctor could be dead, Sarah packs herself up and the children to investigate what's going on. Upon reaching the unit base, the trio find the coffin containing the Doctor's supposed body, as well as the aliens who discovered it, a race of bipedal vultures called the Shansheath. At the wake for the Doctor, the Sarah, Sarah runs into former companion Joe Grant, now Joe Jones, and the two bond over the shared experience with the Doctor. Both feel that they would have somehow known if the Doctor had truly died, and thus the, begins the Scooby-Doo level of investigating for the show with the Doctor eventually swapping places with young Clyde due to him absorbing some of the latent TARDIS energy. The Doctor confronts the Shansheath and asking what, what's with the premature death notice, and the bipedal buzzards regret that they spoke too soon, but they say that they will rectify the error as they blast the Doctor with a beam of energy from their claws. The Doctor and Clyde then again swap places, and the group run from the Shansheath until they get to a place where the Doctor and Clyde swap again. The Doctor then transports Sarah and Joe back to the planet where he was stranded. While the Doctor was trying to perfect the device that he was using to swap places with Clyde in order to transport all of them back, Joe laments the fact that the Doctor never met up with her after he left. The Doctor reassured her that he was he has kept track of all his companions as he tells Joe that he knows about all of her exploits and her effort to help humanity. With all the drama over with for the episode, the Doctor perfects the device and he and his companions transport back to Unit HQ. But while the trio were bonding on the far distant planet, the children had been trapped in a room under being slow roasted by Colonel Karam and the Shansheath. You see, they actually had the TARDIS in their possession, and they're planning on gathering Joe and Sarah's memories from their travels with the Doctor to make a new TARDIS key. The, two tri- the trio attempt to rescue the children, but Joe and Sarah are captured and put into the memory weed device, a device that's using uh, some sort of energy to suck their brains out and create the key. But the two companions overload the machine by thinking happy thoughts, blowing up their enemies real good. Crisis averted, the group head off to say their farewells to the Doctor and to each other. And as the group is departing, Sarah Jane recounts her research into all the good things that the Doctor's companions have done for the planet, using that so long that there are people who are so inspired by him, the Doctor surely will never die. And that's the end of my notes for uh, Death of the Doctor. Guys, Let's. what kind of thoughts do we have about this one? Okay, well, before <laughs> we hear Thomas's 
nonsensical bullshit. Um, let's put it out there. I mean, this is a kids show. Mm-hmm. It is written for kids. It is designed for kids. It is not for the, you know, discriminating Doctor Who fan. You got to take a step back at it and watch it and think of, uh, I don't know, compare it to an episode of friggin' Wizards of Waverly Place or something. You got to put the it Rossi in Rossi Junior con- High School or Dragasi High School, basically. Yeah, you got to put it in context. Once, once you put it in context as a kid show, I think it's very good. In fact, I watched it with my kids. I watched it with my 13-year-old and 7-year-old uh, this week, and they really enjoyed it. They were having a great time. My 7-year-old was getting all worked up and worried what was going to happen to Sarah Jane and Joe. I mean, I thought well, that was could, great. You get a lot of that because a lot of the episode is focused on the, the younger characters, the the friends of Sarah Jane and the son of or the grandson of Joe Grant or Joe Smith. So, And the relationship that they have, and I think... Davis is more in his element here because writing for a kid's show probably works better for him as a writer than writing for a sci-fi show. Cause he gets, yeah, you know, when things such as, you know, plot coherence and, <laughs> you know, subtlety don't matter. Well, let, let's not, let's not be too down on the show. I mean, yes, it is a kid's show and you should expect that sort of disneyfication of it, but it's not, it's not unwatchable. It's a fun show and there are really some good moments in there and especially, uh, moments between Matt Smith and Joe Grant on the planet, uh, especially yes. his dialogue with her saying that he had to leave them behind and that, uh, you know, even though he has left them behind, he hasn't, you know, been completely aloof and not cared about him. He has been, you know, watching Joe and following her antics and she's led her own life. So it's, it's a nice character moment that Davies was able to put into the show rather than just, you know, him dropping his companions off and never visiting them again. And so the fact that they, in this show, basically say the companions have, the companions of the doctor have gone on to lead their own lives and essentially do good that the doctor, uh, that essentially is the doctor's reason for being, you know, says, says a lot about the character and says a lot about, you know, Davis writing for the doctor. So good, good stuff. Um, The Surajan, Adventures. I mean, you all seemed quite surprised that this is a kids' show. It follows on from um, the BBC's long-standing commitment to doing quality children's television. I mean, when I was growing up, there was a show called um, The Stone Tape that starred Ian Cuthbertson. It originally aired in, in like seven, early 70s, and I saw repeats of it. That was terrifying. It was absolutely terrifying as a child. And there was, there was an adaptation of Chocky, John Wyndham's Chocky that was really scary when you were a kid. Ed Bishop was in it from um, from Jerry Anderson's UFO. And there was another one um, that Blake Seven's Gareth Thomas was in. I can't for the life of me remember the name of it. That was also really scary. So th- there's a tradition of doing scary horror stuff for kids that goes back well to the 60s and the 70s. And Doctor Who was originally launched as a kids show, but it was supposed to be in the gap between children and adults entertainment on Saturday evening. So as far as scurry stuff goes, this isn't as scurry as kids shows have got over here. Oh, trust um, me. The I'd... scariest thing in this show is that Muppet that was standing in for Joe Grant. Oh, <laughs> that's yeah, not nice. She has had, she has had far too much plastic surgery. I mean, his, her face is in a constant, you know, almost Joker grin. I was uh, going to yeah. say, she did look like the Joker. Yeah. There's no denying that. There's no denying that. Matt Smith even says, he goes, it looks like somebody baked you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a great line. I can't believe they got that in the show. 
Andrew, but I have I'm a question because uh, you're more up, I'm sure, on British actors than I am. The the guy who plays the kid, the main kid on the show, yeah, did he also play the sidekick in that that horror show that I think it was ITV did called was it the, the Shades or something? I don't know because I don't think I ever saw that. What was okay. it called? You talking about Clyde? Yeah, I don't know. I know Clyde's now in Casualty. Okay, He's no, there really was a, a show somebody asked me to look at, and I actually did a couple of the first few episodes of. It was about a kid who found out that he was able to like see the dead when they were coming back. Uh, never mind. No, I, don't, I don't remember that. Okay. Way to bring and it down, buddy. Way to bring it down. Now, the guy who played Santiago, Santiago Jones, Finn Jones, um, I didn't know this because I don't watch Game of Thrones, but apparently he's been on Game of Thrones. Every so British he, actor's been on Game of Thrones. <laughs> oh, is that how, Well, there's only six British actors is the joke we have over here, by the way. Yeah, um, they kind like them for Game of Thrones. saying that Stuart Fell was in an episode of Doctor Who. Yeah, yeah. All right. Now, um, when I was at um, Gallifrey, the actress who played Ronnie, Anjali Mohinder, which mm-hmm. uh, Mohindra, which by the way, before I say it, I will say she's all grown up now. So uh, she's <laughs> so you're going to mention gorgeous. how hot she is. Aren't you? I'm not going to mention how hot she was in the show because she wasn't. But as a grown up now, whoa, <laughs> she's in her and, early 20s uh, now. Isn't she? Yeah. What is, what is she doing over there now? Uh, I've not seen her in anything recently. I've only, I only caught Clyde in Casualty by mistake on Saturday when I was channel surfing. I don't watch Casualty. So I spotted him. I was like, oh, that's the guy from the Sarah Jane Adventure. So that was just pure dumb luck. So I don't know what she's up to. Because the other kids that were in it and left, all left to go to university or college or something. And these right. were replacements. Um, the her being called Rani confused me. Because I don't. Me too. I, I didn't, I didn't <laughs> that's watch, true. I didn't watch Sarah Jane Adventures regularly. I'd ca- I saw the pilot, which I thought was really good. And then I caught episodes here and there. The Wedding of Sarah Jane Smith, I think, was the only other one I saw prior to this. And so I, I originally thought she was supposed to be the Rani. Apparently mm. that's not true. No, it's not. Not at all. Right. It, it, it's interesting. interesting. The show... Sarah Jane and the Rani on a, like a road trip together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned the pilot. The pilot actually isn't very good compared to the rest of the series. I've seen most of the episodes of the show, and it actually got better once like the Rani character got on and the, and, the, and the girl that was originally in the series left, and they started giving Clyde more of a bigger role. And uh, the series got a lot better, actually. So it's this is the period where they were kind of hitting on all thrusters at this point. So... I love the alien race. I mean, it's such a perfect sort of Doctor Who-ish, puppet-ish sort of villain, you know. The... Yeah. <clears throat> well, I liked the vultures because they were yeah. CGI. That's why I liked them. Yeah, that they were puppets and they were, you know, traditional old school Doctor Who villains. And exactly. The fact these are supposed to be the caretakers of the dead. When, when the first thing you think of as vultures, as giant carrion eaters who are going to be devouring the dead. So, yeah, that... That kind of gives you that idea that maybe they're not the most trustworthy characters. And Here's my problem with them, though, which is a problem – another one of the problems I have with Russell T. Davies, which is that Russell T. Davies seems incapable of uh, design, thinking of an alien race that doesn't have some sort of antecedent here in the animal kingdom. So but- to, to me, the second I saw the, Shang, the Shang-Chi, I was like – it shut me down. I'm like, oh god, another one of these, another one of these, just like the dolphin people and the rhino people and the, you know, it just, it, 
bugs the crap out of me. It's like, at least, thank God, now we're getting like alien races that look like aliens. And the other thing that bothered me, of course, was it the Grosk? Yeah. Yeah. Here, take take a take an already existing outfit we have hanging around, paint it a different color, and say, "Oh no, we're just cousins to those guys." It made for some cute humor. I didn't have a problem with it. And again, when you're doing a kid show, well, familiarity. Yeah, well, familiarity is important. Your brain is dwarfed. It makes fun. It makes honest. Uh, makes it makes it quite no. honest that, that you would F- like little blue dwarfs and. Familiarity in shorthand is is essential when you're doing half hour, you know, stories for kids. You, you don't need but to spend a lot of time explaining for an adult stuff. Show. What's that? He was doing this for an adult show. Well, that's not he what we're talking about right now. We're talking about Sarah Jane Adventures. Hey, you know what? Here you go. Just to change the subject, I'll give you. A, I'll throw you a bone here. Here's a, a, a Colin Baker reference for you. Joe mentions that the doctor took her to the planet Carfell. Which actually is a reference to your crappy ass time lash. You and your obsession with time lash. I'm just telling you, brother. That is a reference to time lash because in time lash, which is a sick doctor, sick doctor. Well, yeah, they again, the, they time the lash there actually happened, unlike in your favorite doctors were. I didn't even hear what you said. What was that? <laughs> I said at least something happened in time lash, unlike in most of what happened when your doctor was in the TARDIS. Yeah, what happened at Time Lash was I took a nap. That's what happened during Time Lash. <laughs> I took a nap through three whole seasons. My God. Another fun thing that uh, they mentioned, the doc, um, Clyde asked the doctor if he can change, how, you know, can he change his face, you know, infinitely or how many times. The doctor says 507 times, mm-hmm. which I didn't, you know, I, I thought that was cute. And obviously it's a throwaway line. and It was a good way to address the what are we going to do when we get to our 13th actor kind of thing. But... It turned, I didn't catch this, but if you add five and seven together, it adds up to 12. So I was like, oh, that's kind of clever. I didn't know if that was intentional or not. But apparently Davies did say, you know, obviously that whole line was a joke. And uh, sooner or later, they're going to have to address that issue, I guess, and probably two more actors. Yeah, well, that's – that's what... I like that moment where they're like – they're in the duct and they're like – the doctor is going backwards. He's going forwards and they're doing the question and answer. I thought that was kind of cute. Yeah, well, Matt's, and that's Matt's, one of the things. That's one of the things that they. Yeah, I agree. They're going to have to address. And for people who don't know, which is surprising, why would you be listening to the show? The Doctor and Time Lords in general only have twelve regeneration cycles. So after the twelfth uh, cycle, technically they're dead. So uh, they. That was kind of a point of contention in the show that the Doctor sort of just threw off this one and off line that he could regenerate uh, five hundred and seven times, and. I think I think Thomas, you and I addressed this sort of off air on a different show mm-hmm. uh, that this could have been easily dealt with, and they could have uh, talked about him having more regeneration cycles uh, due to something that was set up in a different show. In uh, the Deadly Assassin, it's mentioned that has a thank you from the Gallifreyan people. When you become the president, you are given an entirely new regeneration cycle. And technically, the Doctor was the president through half of the Tom Baker years, all of the Peter Davison years, and half of the Colin Baker years before he said, you know what? Fuck this job. <laughs> yeah, because the, the five Doctors ends with them wanting to come back and take on his, his presidency, doesn't it? And he does a runner. Mm-hmm. Well, if but... you look at it from the Master, I mean, if I remember right, and I may be misremembering those episodes where he came back. When he agreed to fight in the Time War, I think they gave him a whole new set of regenerations anyway, didn't they? 
Or yeah, did I so, just imagine all that? Well, well it, the master is always the master's kind of timeline is always kind of funky because he's got that whole thing with uh, you know, he takes over Tremos's body and then he does mucks around in the fire thing and there's so many other different ways that you can explain away why he's still around even after his 13th regeneration. So am I imagining that they said that? I don't rec- yeah, I don't recall that ever happening. But Okay. Well, I mean, that's certainly something they could easily just say. is just, well, during the time war, everything changed. There's no limitation mm-hmm. anymore. They needed soldiers, you know, whatever. You could even argue, given that we've seen, we saw River Song give up her regenerations to revive the Doctor in that, in, uh, was it not the end of time? Well, you know which episode I'm talking about. It wasn't very good, but yeah, I know Sharma. Um... You could say that when the the Gallifreyans were taken out of the time stream, that maybe the Doctor absorbed some residual chronal energy that resulted in that it can result in further regenerations. Well, or we it's... could just say they want to keep the show going, so they're going to figure something out. Yeah, you could say with the with the elimination that. Uh, the the twelve generations was an arbitrary thing that the Time Lords put on them, and with you know the Doctor being the last of the Time Lords, you know that arbitrary right. uh, thing is just thrown to the wayside. So, well, it's one of those so, things. So, I'm sort of sure. like a sort of like a weakness to yellow, right, Sean? Oh yeah, uh, yeah that that'd be an that'd be a comparable thing to do. Yeah, it, it's it's one of those arbitrary about. things that was created back in the Patrick Troughton era that I'm sure nobody has thought they would ever have to address. Well, and that's one of the things. No one expected, I'm certain certain back at the time, no one expected the show to be running essentially for 50 years. Uh, so the fact that, you know, we've gone through what now, you know, 11 different iterations of the Doctor, uh, the, the, it'll be really surprising to see what they do when Matt Smith and the next one leaves, but if they'll actually continue on or how they'll address the uh, entire idea of the continuity if they have to only have 12 generations. So we'll... We'll see how that works out, but yeah, there there are ways that they can get out of it that isn't just a throwaway line and a sort of offshoot show of the the Doctor Who show. Speaking of Matt Smith, I thought he was a lot of fun in this episode. I felt like he embraced the 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 spinoff show. Didn't he, like some actors could have come in there and just been like, "I'm just doing this because I have to." I felt like he, he was didn't really enjoying down. being there. Was that he didn't talk down to yeah. the show? He was. But that's that's I've always contend. I think Smith is probably my favorite of the of the three 2005 iteration doctors. And I think part of it is just he is one of these people who's he, I mean he hasn't gone into Tickville yet, like David Tennant, who started strong and then just became okay. Here I am, Lucy Goosey. It's, well, it's, he's he's encompassed. He's encompassed. Uh, aspects of a lot of the characters of the doctor and put him into his own thing. And the fact that also that Matt Smith also had this sort of weird alien, you know, Peter Boyle from young Frankenstein look on him that just, uh, <laughs> he's Crispin it, Glover. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Kind of. He's the yeah. Dad from back to the future. He, he does have this sort of weird, uh, you know, otherworldly, uh, vibe about him that allows him to, to, that allows the audience to see him as an alien character and works well, I think, for his character as Doctor Who, or as the Doctor. And I you will reiterate, him. was it Shag who said it? I will reiterate, I did. And this is the, one of the things I've always liked about, one of the, the things I like about Davies, 
is his his way of being able to crystallize certain character moments and that moment where and when they're on the Shang Chi planet and Smith and uh, you know Muppet Girl have that discussion about and he says no I've known everything I know every single thing that happened don't think I've ever forgotten you that's a that is a really nice moment. Well, and also, you know, they bring, you know, they bring back the fact that the companions are, are an essential part of Doctor Who lore. And they bring that in at the end of the show where we find out that uh, uh, Ian and Barbara have gone on to teach school, that Ace is even mentioned in sort of yep. passing. Uh, we get uh, Tegan down in Australia helping with the Aboriginal tribes. So it, it's a but they nice... never mentioned like oh and then there was Perry and she dropped she fell down a hole. <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes. And, and Dodo, I, I think I sent her away somewhere and she totally disappeared. Well, well I, not I, I all did, the companions I, are as stellar as Sarah Jane. So I did feel like Joe kind of got the short end of the stick from the Doctor at first. Like, you know, the first thing he says to her is she she was baked in an oven. Then he spends <laughs> his time running around with Sarah. And I mean, he did hold hands with Joe, which was kind of nice. But I mean, back in the day, guys, that's Joe a callback, though, right? Shag, wasn't that a callback to the to the uh, to the John Pertwee era? In that he was always holding uh, Katie Manning's hand because she, without her glasses, she was horribly nearsighted. Oh, really? How funny! So he well, I just to... meant where I was going is just the way he treated her was pretty shitty until they finally sit down and have that nice little conversation. But like. But but Joe Grant was a major companion in the series. I mean, he was the John Pertwee, you know, at least the the the, the doctor when Joe left, he was heartbroken. Mm-hmm. The doctor was genuinely heartbroken when Joe left. Well, and so well, Elizabeth Sladen feels that the reason Pertwee left after that one season she did with him was because Manning left and Roger Delgado died. That's and it pretty. Was, Pretty much accepted, yeah. I think, yeah. Yeah, it was no longer fun for him. And so I just, I guess, I felt like Joe deserved a little more props from Matt Smith. I felt like uh, he was sort of humoring her. It's like, oh, I better cheer her up. Well, let me have your black current. Okay. Oh, look at that! It worked. Yay! Thanks, Joe. You know. But was just... that Matt Smith's fault or Russell T Davies' fault? I'm sorry. I'm. Yeah. It's Russell T Davies, not Matt's. I, I didn't mean to pin that on him. I just meant the character of the Doctor. Wasn't you know? I felt like he was humoring Joe rather than celebrating his time with her, and that just made me a little sad. Mm-hmm. Even though she does look like a muppet now, <laughs> <laughs> she looked more like a puppet than the three vulture guys. Now, on audio, Katie Manning is frigging brilliant. I suggest all of you seek out her audio work with Big Finish. She is funny. She is sharp as a tack. She is apparently one of the, their favorite people to bring in because she is just so sharp-witted and hysterical. And she gets to play multiple characters. She plays, you know, Joe, but she also plays Iris Wildtime. And she is amazing as Iris Wildtime. She, in fact, she did a, like a sort of a one-man show almost, an episode of Companion Chronicles, where she played both. Hmm. And I was in stitches. It's absolutely one of my favorites. And I didn't realize how, much, how great she is until I heard her on audio. Well, and that's kind of sad because, like you said, Shag, in the show, she's kind of marginalized. I mean, she's she's her character here is played as a sort of ditzy 60s hippie brought into the modern era. But uh, 
Well, she should be ditzy. I mean, Joe was ditzy. Make no mistake. <laughs> but, but you know, they, they still a, just, the doctor still adored her. Yeah, but but the, they kind of like I said, she kind of feels marginalized. She kind of feels you know. But granted, this is the Sarah Jane adventures, not the Joe Grant adventures. Mm-hmm. So you got that going See, as well. That last speech that you referenced, Shag or, or Sean. I'm always of, I'm of two minds about it. On one hand, it seems almost like a, a sop to everybody else who hasn't had seen their favorite companion come back. And also, it sort of contradicts the whole point that Russell T. Davies was making in season four about, you weaponize people, Doctor. You make them dangerous. Shame on you. I don't know. I don't know. It just... It, it, Feels what, weird. Which, which speech you're referring to? I don't follow. The whole the speech. Okay, the, the speech at the end that Sarah Jane gives. Yeah. About I've kept an eye on all of them, and there's oh, Keegan. Right, right. Okay. She's helping the Aborigines out in Africa, and there's uh, this girl Dorothy, and she's doing this, and there's these two professors who never age in Cambridge, and and I think it's in direct contrast with the point that he made, which is supposed to be, remember this was part of the culmination of his whole point of the series, which is that the, the, the thing that Davros, the speech Davros gives in The End of the World, or whatever the heck the name of that last um, Journey's episode end. of the season Journey's is. End. Journey's End. You weaponize people. You make them, you make them into your killing machines because you're too, you're too afraid to do it yourself. It, it, it just left a weird taste in You know what I'm saying? I do, but I, I didn't see this as a continuation of that storyline. I, I feel like Davies finished with season four. I, I honestly, I feel, I feel like Davies finished with season four and he was done, and the rest of it was him just, you know, doing the job. But uh, I don't, I don't, I feel like this was more just a, a nod to the old show. I don't think I don't see this as more of the the companion weaponizing thing. I think he more intended that for like the later Doctors rather than like say the third Doctor. Mm-hmm. Now Andrew. Or, you were a fan of the Pertwee era back then, right? No, I wasn't alive then, dude. Well, I, I, I meant back and watched some John Pertwee. Yes. Okay, that's uh, that's more where I was going. I apologize. How did how did you <laughs> feel about this as a Englander? Um, <laughs> as Englander. As Englander. <laughs> um, I thought it was up the apples and pears, governor. The um, hell I like, that I, mean? exactly. Did you do that with Kipper with Kippers and bangers and mash? Yes, that's exactly right. It's like Chris is on the yes, show. Jag, because Took the all lift to the tube. people are exactly like you think they are. <laughs> um, I enjoyed it a great deal, this one. Like I said, I've not watched a lot of the Sarah Jane adventures, but I did like seeing Joe return. And I, I have very little memories of Joe. I don't know why. I have gone back and watched a few John Pertry ones, but she's never a companion that sticks in my head. Um, apart from that, photo shoot she did with the Daleks, obviously. So I thought oh, they did, <laughs> right. I thought they did a good job with that, and I thought she played what she was given fine. And I thought Matt Smith did have a few nice moments with her. But I don't think I don't know why they picked Joe of all the people they could have picked. And it is one of those things where I was looking I was thinking about it and I said, well they need a companion from roughly the same era of Sarah Jane. They need a companion who knows the same doctors that Sarah Jane knew. And I wonder if they just did process of elimination and they just narrowed it down to, well this is really the only one that it can be. Anyone much younger wouldn't have made wouldn't have spoke to Sarah Jane 
it had to be somebody of, of a roughly equivalent age. So I, I thought they did a good job with it, and I thought Matt Smith was brilliant in it. But I think Matt Smith is brilliant even when the material's not as good as he is. Mm. Well, I think that Shag has it right in that Joe was, until Sarah Jane came, as popular. She was the big companion, really. And that... I didn't mean to inter- up, upset your dramatic pause. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was. I. Uh, I always like to hear from the little people. Well, I just. I thought you were done talking, but it was dramatic, and you know, whatever. So the the her her exit. I mean, the doctor's generally upset. You actually, I think there's a big sunset the doctor's driving yeah. off into or something. I mean, it's, they made a big deal out about her exit that they'd never done with anybody before. Usually, it's like out the TARDIS door, go get married, bye, click, let's go. <laughs> And uh, this was this was a big freaking deal. Now you you know Andy, you hit on something as far as process of elimination. I mean, it's it's interesting to note that there's so many companions still kicking around from the Trotton and Hartnell eras, but Pertwee and da- and Baker's eras, a lot of them are gone. Shit. You know, I, I, admittedly, uh, the lady who played Liz Shaw was still alive when this episode was made, but she was really old. And she was she passed very shortly afterwards. Then you also had um, let's see, you know, uh, um, well, this lady was already James in it. Is still kicking around, right? Louise James is still kicking around, but we've lost Mary Tam now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, Romana's uh, Lala Ward's still around, truthfully. Yeah, but her and Tom got divorced, so you know she's not going to do anything with Tom at least. So, but I mean, there's just there's a lot of the companions from those two areas are gone. Surprisingly, the Brigadier's gone. And it just is, is surprising. I was surprised that they didn't have the brig in this. Uh, that did oh, surprise me. More than any other omission, I was surprised they didn't have the Brigadier. Well, wasn't he... I think he Sorry, passed no. away by then. No, I think no, he was still alive was at still... this point. Because when okay. this episode because was filmed, away. he was still alive. Yeah, he passed away just a little bit before, in, in real time, uh, before Elizabeth Slade did, unfortunately. I think I remember you know, that, that happening, it basically being... Uh, Nicholas Courtney and then Elizabeth Slade not not more than a month after that. So they made they made a reference in this episode about him being stranded in Peru. And apparently yeah. I didn't know this, but that's the exact same phrase they used to describe in in the Centauran stratagem as well, which was kind of cool. He must love Peru. <laughs> yeah. So that well, that he, was the one omission that did strike me as odd as why the brigadier wasn't around for this. But it well, does he, play into the story if the unit officer is is essentially working off boots, you wouldn't want the brigadier around. Mm-hmm. Well, he yeah, Nicholas Courtney did appear in an episode or two of Sarah Jane in, a, in the previous season, or maybe it was the. Oh, did he? Yeah, he did. All oh, right, and, I did not know that. And clearly, his health wasn't that good because he he just kind of had to stand there. He didn't do a lot of running around. There weren't a lot of scenes with him. It was it was clearly he was struggling to do the scenes. So mm-hmm. I think by this point, his health probably wouldn't have allowed him to do it. Well, right. that's one of the things I'd like to talk about about. Uh, Elizabeth Sladen in these shows uh, like we may have mentioned at the beginning uh, Elizabeth Sladen was suffering uh, it was some sort of form of terminal cancer but she kept it hidden from everyone you know basically related to the show especially all the kid actors and and it wasn't she let Russell T Davies know yeah, yeah I think so but uh, she she basically kept it hidden, which is a, a, even a greater testament to her that she went on and recorded that uh, fifth season, I believe, 
and did it without anyone knowing until essentially the, the time when she passed. And it was such a shocking thing that she was able to carry on through the show and be as ebullient and be as wonderful as a, of a character throughout the show without, you know, going on with her suffering from this disease. And it's, again, it's a character, it's a testament to her as an actress and to her wanting to carry on this character and be such a wonderful person that just inures me to her as, as one of the greatest companions in Doctor Who history. So you mentioned her with the kids. Um, the, the actress who played Ronnie was talking about that at Gallifrey. She said that Sarah, um, the Liz Layden acted as sort of like an onset mother to all the kids. Mm-hmm. She just she she was always there for them. If there was something going on, she was always making sure they were okay, and she just she took care of them. She's apparent, you know, for all accounts I've heard, she sounds like she was truly an amazing woman. Yeah. And uh, wonderful class act. Yeah, the, one of the best. And you know, again, it is it's one of the reasons that uh, I kind of decided with the show to kind of go off format of covering Doctor Who episodes and cover these episodes. Well, essentially we covered Doctor Who episodes, but to cover Elizabeth Slayton because uh, later this month is the anniversary of her passing. And we're recording this in April and uh, this will probably be out the next month. But yeah, we just wanted to make sure that we uh, sort of gave props to one of the, one of the greatest people to ever travel with uh, one of our favorite sci-fi characters ever created. So, uh, Elizabeth Sladen, you are missed, and uh, you know this is kind of a our tribute to her. And uh, I'm getting choked up now. Jesus. Goodbye, my Sarah Jane. Oh. Now I'm gonna be all weepy today. <laughs> I, th- I think that that's different from any other day. I think that's how we bring it to a close, Sean. Yeah. yeah. I agree. Uh, Thanks, everyone, for listening to uh, this episode of Who True Freaks. Uh, we, we miss you, Sarah Jane, and thanks, everyone, for listening. Bye. 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 Well, we brought that one to close well, on it down. Anyway, two, well, you, made me, you made me. Well, it, we should. It was perfect. Two, That's two, how it should end. It ended in yeah. I'm, I'm teared up right now, you bastards. Yeah, I didn't want to say anything. Thank you, Sean. You can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode. With your message read in the show's opener, it's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, 2TrueFreaks gets a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you get to shop as usual and help out the 2TrueFreaks at the same time. Welcome to Amazon. I love you. Visit our brand new website at 2TrueFreaks.com. 2TrueFreaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. Join our forum at ForumForGeeks.com. 
where you can discuss all of the shows on our feed with us and your fellow listeners. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. And hey, you can friend me, Scott Gardner, on Facebook too. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. You can friend me on Facebook too, if you can find me. Now available, Two True Freaks t-shirts. See our website for details. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check that out at www.comicspodcast.com, where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. We are also members of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? Thanks for listening, and join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. finally invited aboard one of these spacecraft, which landed near Ann Arbor, Michigan on October the 24th of 1954. This is a drawing of the craft. As I was leaving the craft, the commander, Soltek, said, soon others of your people will be able to have an experience similar to this.